Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for the most famous episode of Church Planner Podcast. This is going to be the most famous. I like that term. I'm going to start using Ever. that word. Most famous. Ever. Ever. <laughs> the one that I've been looking forward to since we started 95 episodes ago. Yep. After this episode, you can just stop listening because it won't get any better than this. <laughs> and I might actually just stop doing them after this episode. You never know. Yeah, this is this is a topic. You know, I told Pete before the uh, broadcast, I don't want to screw around before this one too much. Because, too much. <laughs> too much. Yeah, because I know Pete, you know, Pete's like, hey, I totally want to screw around today. And I got a story and I'm like, dude, I just want to get right into the topic because it's not a happy topic. It, it has to do with spiritual warfare, has to do with demonic possession. That's just our topic. And Pete from day one has been saying, I don't want to do that one. And uh, there is like not much material on this at all. So I'm guessing that in future people are going to be hunting through iTunes. Hey, how do I hear something about exorcism, demonic possession? Boom, this would be the one that comes up. Nice. So on that happy note, uh, I should probably give some uh, some kudos to our sponsor. Yeah, why don't we? You know, this could actually be the best episode to sponsor because I think it'll end up being our most downloaded episode. So, yeah. so start yeah, church just made out there. like a bandit. <laughs> right on. So anyway, um, start church, like we said last, last episode, last week, actually, um, they are, uh, they're sponsoring this podcast and we, we love it when these guys sponsor the podcast cause they're, they're taking an active role in our ministry and, um, and they're church planners. I mean, that's kind of the cool thing. Nathan Camp over there at Start Church, he is a church planner himself. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, here, here's their little uh, blurb here. Let me just get into it. So you've decided to start a church. You're excited. You're thrilled. 
Now you realize that starting a church has a legal side, and it can feel overwhelming, even downright scary. But it doesn't have to be. We're Start Church. We'll walk you through the whole process from start to finish, taking something hard and making it easy. The legal side doesn't have to be scary. It just has to be done. Let Start Church do it for you. Visit startchurch.com. And like I said, man, I mean, Start Church is, is an awesome organization, and uh, I really love the fact that they're they're sponsoring the podcast because it just shows where their heart is. Nathan, who's the uh, big cheese over there, he's a church planner himself. So we yeah. said it last week. If you're going to go use a service, you might as well use one that uh, the people know um, they know what you're going through because they're doing it themselves. So. You know, it's so funny because when I start a church, right, I've got all this technical mumbo jumbo, all the stuff about starting up a nonprofit, all the legalese, and I mark that on my calendar, do it on this day. And as week by week goes, I just move it from the 10th to the 17th, <laughs> from the 17th to the 24th. And and finally, what I end up doing is I use something like Star Church where I just go, here, take my money. I don't care how much you get. It's like when you ask someone to do your taxes, you just... Please do it for me. Here's my money. And boom. So that's what Star Church is. It's specifically for you as church planners. So if that's stuff that just, you know, does your head in, then Start Church is definitely worth a look, definitely worth checking out. I use stuff like that all the time. I just don't do that stuff for starting up churches anymore. So I am not only uh, a client, I'm the president. <laughs> hey, so before we get into that awesome topic, man, I do have to share with you and our awesome little community here what I think is a really funny thing that happened. So Ruben Young, we've talked about him before on the podcast. He um, he Facebook messaged me, and this is what he Facebook messaged me. He said, hey, bro, I'm working on a newsletter for Pedro. Can I send it to you to tell me if it sucks or not when I'm finished? So... Uh, San Pedro is one of the church plants that's sprouting out of our Long Beach church plant. So um, I don't know. I, I guess maybe you've talked to him about putting together a newsletter. I, I know we've talked about it on the podcast, and he's like devouring the podcast going through them all. So yeah, for whatever reason, he's putting together a newsletter. So you know, he asked me if I'd take a look at it, and I said, sure. So then he writes, can I email the newsletter, or should I bring you a printed copy on Sunday? I go, email. What's your email? So I put... Chuck Norris at gmail.com, you know, because I'm just smart enough. And then he replies back, sent it. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome, dude. I'm confident you'll have no problem being blatantly honest. (laughs) And I'm just thinking to myself, I wonder if whoever's got Chuck Norris at gmail.com is like, what is this? What is this? Now, I got to say, like, this this could be a cool way God works because Chuck Norris. (laughs) Yeah, if Chuck Norris, if his email was actually Chuck Norris at gmail.com, that'd be hilarious. That'd be hot. And he's like, actually, that sounds like a church plant I'd love to go to, which they could use in (laughs) San Pedro because he's in a really dangerous neighborhood. He told me, he goes, hey, in most church plants, you know, you've told us you go and you speak to the authorities, you go and speak to the mayor, you go speak to the, the city council. He goes, we went and spoke to the local homies because in a neighborhood like this, that's who you talk to. He goes, we're good. We're in, by the way. So, uh, yeah, but he's actually starting another core team. He's starting two core teams. Guy's on fire. Is he? Where's the other one going to be going? It's going to be on the other side of San Pedro. Oh, so nice. He's, I mean, he is he is absolutely in the ghetto of San Pedro right now. So there is a nice area, and there's like an, an area that's just notorious uh, for being bad. And he just goes straight into the bad area and goes, that's where we're playing. Typical new breed style, right? 
That's well, funny. Uh, so he, he finally, no when he finally gets his, his uh, newsletter to me, his, his first line of the email was, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just dying. Like, how rad would that be if you actually got Chuck Norris's email address? Like, if if you got Chuck Norris at gmail.com. I would so use that if that were my email. Well, there are two things that are true. Number one, I would totally believe that's your email. Chuck Norris at gmail.com. You would actually have that kind of email. Number two, you know, I, I, I can't believe that Ruben didn't see through it because, uh, <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, Ruben's seen like every Kung Fu movie on the planet. There's never a, you know, I was sick last week and I'm like, dude, I just, there was a day my wife made me stop working and, uh, I laid on the sofa and just watched Kung Fu movies. It was like the best day of my year. And he's like, so I listed off. He's like, Oh, what'd you watch? And I said, ding, ding, ding. he's like, Oh yeah, those are good. And he's always throwing me like Bruce Lee quotes and all kinds of stuff. So, well, what's funny is I actually know it, what uh, Chuck Norris's real email address is. It's actually Gmail at chucknorris.com. Just, <laughs> just saying, you know, if anybody needs to reach out to Chuck, that's his email. That's awesome. Finish him. <laughs> so, uh, uh, we have not yet touched on any of our uh, sound effects. If you're new to the Church Planner podcast, we have this uh, obsession with um, sound bites. We we can't help but pushing them every once in a while. Oh, that just gets me fired up. Uh-huh. Best one right there. All right. Well, should we uh, go ahead and get down to business? Yeah, I've put it off long enough. All right. So, hey, we are going to talk about demonic possession, and I'm going to be fighting my throat the whole time here because I'm getting over being sick. But this is all on the tail end of looking at mental illness. And, of course, you know, if you're frontline church planning, you are going to be encountering all of this kind of stuff. Um, you're going to meet people that are mentally ill. Um, if you're if you're doing a church plant that's more organic, you're going to get right into people's lives. You're going to start kind of peeking behind the curtain, or the mask is going to slip because you're not building a giant crowd. You're actually uh, infiltrating a community. You're getting to know people. You're doing mass quantities of discipleship. Um, you're, 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 you've got small groups going, and so people are beginning to get comfortable with one another. They're beginning to confess in their groups. This is what's going on in my life. And people are beginning to change. And because of that, you know, as we said statistically at the beginning of our series on mental, mental illness, that over 50% of the population, and this, this is no different in the church, has just been diagnosed with some form of depression. So, um, you can imagine there's the anxiety disorders, there is the depressive disorders, there's the schizophrenic disorders, which account for less than 1% of the population, and there are uh, DID, dissociative identity disorder, what used to be known as multiple personality disorder. And, you know, lastly, we, we had to talk over, um, you know, what, how do you distinguish between that and demonic possession? And so, as a former psych nurse myself, um, I'm, I'm an RN, and I, I did a stint in the busiest uh, psychiatric hospital in Southern California. I have seen DID. It, it exists. It is a defense mechanism of the brain as a response to trauma, and it's real. And so, you know, the question that, that we've kind of been asking people to ask is, is this 
depression, oppression, or possession. And, 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 and what I kind of maintain is after working in a psychiatric hospital, I think I'm only, uh, when I worked there for a year, I believe in one year, I ran into maybe one possessed individual. And it was very clear that they were possessed. Whereas, uh, everyone else just seemed mentally ill. And so I would say, Always, just as a reminder of our previous sessions, always, always, always assume that it is uh, a mental illness. Always assume that. Always go into every situation going as, uh, because the most severe case of anything will be uh, demonic possession. And you can do a lot of damage to people if you actually treat someone uh, like they're possessed when they're just mentally ill. You can actually make them much, much worse. And so there's a lot of responsibility here. Um, you can do a lot of harm and you can scare the crap out of people. So you don't want to do that. Um, so, you know, first thing first, rule out mental illness. You need to do that. And so we talked about some, some signs of how to distinguish between someone who might have a multiple personality disorder or DID versus someone who's possessed. And uh, I don't know, Pete, should we should we run back over some of those distinguishing factors or should we go straight? Into I think the we should run over the distinguishing factors. And then before we actually get into um, some of the other meteor stuff, I think we just need to cover a little bit of your experience in dealing with uh, demon possessed people. Um, I, I think people need to know where you're coming from. And it's. Uh, that's an important piece. You've got yeah, experience you know, working with people who are mentally ill, and you've absolutely. got experience in working with people who are demon possessed. And we, I think, we need to cover that. So go ahead and go over the uh, the the signs um, that we talked yeah. about before. And well, let me let me start with with some of the experience because I think you're right. I think it's very rare that people actually have done in in ministry either. Of those, I think a lot of ministers have never dealt with mental illness, at least firsthand, you know, uh, and, and many, uh, ministers have never been in a, an exorcism and they may not even believe in exorcism, which is kind of a problem. You know, that, that, that becomes a real problem when all of a sudden, you know, you're dealing with it and you don't believe it. And I know you mentioned that story about Walter Martin where he had brought Mm -hmm. a, a Christian psychologist who didn't believe to a situation. I don't think it was a Christian. I thought it was a, um, Someone who didn't believe in God at all. Oh, it might have been, yeah. I'm probably getting the story wrong. I've heard it a million times. But uh, even his daughter, we interviewed uh, Walter Martin's daughter. She had, uh, she, had, she had told the story again. And, you know, he had brought this guy. Uh, he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I can't remember. And uh, they encountered a demonically possessed person. And, you know, walking away, the guy said, what was that? And Walter Martin said, what you don't believe in. Because the guy was really shaken up. There was supernatural. And so, <coughs> excuse me, my, um, my experience was, uh, first off, let me just say, my, my family practiced the occult. So uh, when my uh, grandparents, um, my, my grandfather was a, a, a kind of a well-known in the 50s and 60s, a Civil War author. His name was Virgil Carrington Jones. There was a TV show for some of the older audience that probably are dead. Uh, they, um, they may have remembered if, if they haven't left this, a show called The Gray Ghost about Ranger Mosby. Well, that was based on one of my granddad's books. My granddad wrote the very first comprehensive book about the Hatfields and McCoys called The Hatfields and McCoys. 
Um, he was a Wall uh, Wall Street uh, journalist. Um, you know, he uh, or what was it? Wall Street Times or whatever. The Wall Street Journal. Sorry, um, Wall Street Journal. He had done that. He did the Apollo 13 uh, moon landing. He's quite an accomplished journalist, and so. He worked in the newspaper office with a Civil War author named uh, Bruce Catton, who, if you're a Civil War buff, you know who that is. And they worked together and decided together they would start writing Civil War stuff. Well, let's translate that. What it meant is my grandfather lived in Civil War country. He lived in Virginia, and he lived in Centerville. And so he bought a house right on the edge of the Manassas battlefield, which was the site of the very first uh, military campaign in the Civil War known as the Bull Run Campaign. And he literally lived right across the road from that. And um, so he, he had the second largest Civil War, private Civil War library in the state of Virginia. And that's saying a lot. So the dude knew Civil War stuff. He had all kinds of cool things like cannonballs and um, swords that were authentic and all kinds of neat stuff. But anyways, um, the house would have things that went bump in the night. And so they called in a medium to say, hey, what, what's going on? And, of course, the medium kind of spun this yarn about, you know, there's there's ghosts here. And there's now, civil Now, clarify, ghosts. is your uh, granddad a uh, believer or not a believer? He was not a believer. Uh, my family was not a believing family. And so they started having seances. And it all got kind of wild, you know, around that time. And so... I grew up with strange things. My, I'm, I'm part Native American. I'm only one sixteenth. But as a kid, my mom would would ask uh, the Native American shaman to come in, or the shaman, however you, you pronounce it. But they they would come in, and I remember being a kid and this guy going, "When you see a crow, you may call out to me." And I I can still to this day remember the name that he told me to call out. And uh, he would say things like, "You know, if you need help, you know, you can call upon my spirit." And, just weird stuff. You know, I grew up with, with that stuff going on. You know, there was Ouija board in my house. There was strange, uh, anyways. And, and then when I would go visit my grandparents, unexplained phenomenon would happen and I would witness it. And so, you know, that's how I grew up. And so I always believe in a spiritual realm. And so I got involved in some of the occultic things, you know, not, not heavy, you know, but just as you do when you're a young teen and it starts becoming very intriguing. And I got saved around that time. And when I got saved, everything kind of kicked off for the guy sharing the gospel with me. Um, he started having things appear in his house and things moving around. Now, um, fast forward. I'm in the youth group. I'm saved about three years. And this is where I encounter my first case of demonic possession. And there was a girl. She had, she was kind of an urban legend in my high school. She had, um, taken so much cocaine that she had a heart attack in class and she blacked out for eight days. And, um, this girl had started coming to our youth group. Now, what was really weird, I didn't know at the time, you know, picture high school boys. There was like this mini revival going through my, my youth group. We, we were a bunch of just wrecked, messed up kids. Um, the worst kids in the school were getting saved, literally like the ones where you would drive on a campus and God help this school. These kids were coming to faith in my youth group. We were throwing like punk concerts at a community center, any, any kind of like music and we were doing a radical outreach. We had an exorcism happen there, but I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, so I started seeing the more front line I went, and this is from a very young age. Um, I started seeing this stuff like up front and still today my theory is you want to see this stuff, just go really front line. 
Um, you know, really go where the herd is, really go where, where people are messed up, go into the meat grinder that Satan's cranking on people and you'll encounter this stuff. You will oppose, uh, the opposition head on. And so what happened was this girl was, was going around the youth group and we would all like sleep over all the time. Guys and girls, we were sleeping over, you know, in big groups, each other's houses. We, we hang out all night at like a Carl's Jr. or whatever and just talk and minister to each other. Like I said, it was like a mini revival. No one was sleeping with each other, but this girl was going around saying to guys, Hey, I'll sleep with you right now. Let's go in that bedroom. And every guy I know held out. Like they just were like, Oh, she's pretty messed up. They tell her no politely. And, but she was attempting to seduce a large number of guys. And so what had happened was one night we were praying and there is a connection with what I'm going to say about the Holy Spirit and manifestation. One of the ways that demons often manifest is they manifest in the um, presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I can remember that night my youth pastor saying, hey, um, we're going to pray if anybody would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we weren't charismatics. We were in a word-based church. Um, it was a Calvary Chapel. And just that right there, for, for someone to lay hands on someone and then ask for the Holy Spirit to fill them and to, uh, you know, have them be baptized with the Spirit, that I have witnessed twice has caused manifestations. And so immediately she started crying, which wasn't completely, because, you know, we're having this prayer meeting and maybe she's being broken up. I mean, this is the girl trying to seduce guys and, um, you know, uh, and she had told us some strange stories about the occult and all, uh, where she had seen things floating across the room and she had tried all this stuff. So she knew there's a, a spiritual realm and uh, she started crying and it got kind of hysterical and then it got weird. It, it was kind of like, you know, you're watching the horror movies and those weird kind of, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap. And, and all the hackles on my neck went up. And I remember my youth pastor going, and I won't say the name, but he said the name. Let's say the name is Joanna. He goes, Joanna? Like, you could feel it. And so one of the things that I always say is right before the manifestation, this is how I always know someone's possessed. You feel this evil. This overwhelming sense of evil in a room. And, um, and that's what we felt. And so this was my first experience. Now, was your youth him. pastor, did he, had he been in an exorcism before or have any experience <coughs> with that? Excuse me. Yeah, he had actually the, the pastor of the church at that time, uh, you know, he had been the pastor throughout the, uh, 70s. And so remember the Jesus movements in the, in the late sixties and all throughout the seventies, there was a spiritual awakening in America. It was just unexplained. People were experimenting and they were kind of getting hangover from the sixties, but there was this awakening, this moving of the spirit where people were just suddenly hungry for Jesus and they didn't know why. And so what happened was, um, he would get people literally called through the phone book and say, uh, there's a spirit in my house. Um, are you a priest? And he'd say, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor, but I can come over and I can pray for your house. And they'd be like, please come over now. Or he'd get calls like, uh, uh, East Pastor, uh, uh, East Pastor. And I always crank, I, I, this is bad. When my pastor told me this, I was a teenager and I used to crank call people like this. He'd go, uh, East Pastor, uh, uh me husband have demon. You come. 
And he'd be like, yeah, I'll be right over. What's your address? So, you know, that was the kind of thing. He had so much experience with this that he had brought the youth pastor with. And so there were numerous stories that uh, I had heard. Um, when we start experiencing this, the pastor took us aside and said, okay, there's some stuff you guys need to know. With the kind of ministry you're doing, you're going to experience more of this. And sure enough, we did. We had a witch's coven. I know this sounds crazy to people. They're like, what? Witch's coven? We had a full-on witch's coven. Uh, come and I witnessed two girls that were full on possessed screaming every other sentence, get that away from me, you know, and in this weird voice. And then uh, in the next sentence, going, help us, help us, save us. And I'm thinking, what in the heck is going on? I'm trying to figure it out, right? I mean, it, it, it sounds and looks like something out of a horror film. And I was getting ready to start throwing down like, and my youth pastor held me back and said, no. Now, we'll get in a lot of trouble for this. These are minors, and it's it can't happen like this. And so I'm like, okay. But I remember my head spinning when I was trying to figure out why are they screaming at me to, you know, cussing, get away and become a maniac, and then crying out for help. And and it, it took me a few minutes. A lot of times with uh, this stuff, if you haven't had the experience, you know, they don't all happen the same. But it takes a second for your mind to wrap itself around what's happening. Huh. But when you when you feel that evil kick in, and and you know, and and over the years, let me just fast forward now. Um, over the years, I got you know, I I just had experience with it. I had more and more experience. But as long as I was in a cushy pastorate, um, and and the phone didn't ring with someone saying, "Hey, there's things that go bump in the night," I stayed far away from it. And so my my theory would be because most pastors uh, end up being pencil pushers for Jesus, occupying a cubicle or an office all the time, uh, sitting behind their desk. They don't experience it. But if you go into the belly of the beast, church planner, and you go into rough neighborhoods, you go into areas where sin has just had its way, you will, in fact, experience it. And on that happy note. Well, you know, going back to, um, you know, how you spot the difference between yeah. someone who's mentally ill and demonic possession. That I, I'm happy to go over that again because I cannot stress enough. Like, I would feel liable if somebody went and jacked somebody up because they, they heard this, got all excited and decided, hey, I'm going to become a, sons of, uh, a son of Skeva and go and, you know, take this on. Uh, trust me, when you get into an exorcism, you don't ever want to do it. Nothing brings out your powerlessness and weakness and fallibility like an exorcism. I don't care who you are. Um, it just shows you what you're not. It shows you what they are, but it shows you what you're not. It also shows what Christ is mm-hmm. and how badly you need him. But um, but it's not an experience that anybody ever wants to get involved in. It sucks. And so let me just say this. Um, yeah, I've been in a number of them. Um, not, not, I'm, I'm definitely not a uh, Van Helsing, you know, I'm not a witch hunter. Uh, but uh, it happens, you know. The, the most recent one was a uh, guitarist from Corn. He's been doing a lot of frontline ministry with youth. Uh, he was touring the area. He, he had a guy who uh, wrote and had said, um, you know, I want to eat people. And just, he said a bunch of things in his letter that were like, oh, gosh, this guy's possessed. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Brian had gotten in touch with me. And That's so interesting. We, he wrote it. Yeah, he wrote him a letter. And it was basically, the letter was, no one can help me. I've been to psychiatrists. I've been to psychologists. I've been to churches. Nobody can help me. Maybe you can. 
And so Brian was like, hey, I'm on tour. I can't help this kid. And so one of the girls touring with him was a girl named Hannah who would come out. Of the, you know, she was a stripper and um, lesbian and come out of a room. You know, you can yep. Yep. Heard her testimony. She used to um, be with us in Refuge Long Beach. She started touring with the Whosoever's, and uh, Brian was a part of that, the lead singer P.O.D., Ryan Reese. And they would see a lot of this. Again, the theory is the more frontline you go, the more you see. And so Brian was like, you know, he goes, are there any pastors in Southern California that do exorcisms? And I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want to get a bunch of people contact me now. Like, hey, have, you know, come do an exorcism. It sucks. And I, I said, yeah, I'll do it. But you got to endorse Church Zero. Cha-ching! <laughs> so if you're wondering how I got Brian Head Welch from Corn to endorse Church Zero, now you know. Which is funny. I mean, um, I traded for it. I believe, I believe that was one of the rules, though. You're not to accept gifts or gratuity for doing this, you know. So, eh, just saying. Was that a rule? Because that's. I'm just telling you, a book endorsement. Surely that that has to be a gray area. <laughs> There's a loophole. There's a loophole. I'm looking for a loophole. WC Fields. So here's a deal, right? Like, okay, so first thing, uh, let's let's get into it. Um, uh, how do you spot the difference between a, a DID, disassociative identity disorder, and a demonic possession? Well, number one, like I said, the number one thing is you feel the presence of evil before they manifest anything weird. Um they they may have things that are typical of depression. They may have like that guy, the desire to hurt people, um, you know, the 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 you know, uh, the desire to kill themselves. Often there are uh, psychological phenomenon that are associated with these things. And here's why: a demonically possessed person is trying to kill that person. Um, they're trying to steal, kill, and destroy, and take as many people down as they can. They are on a path to self-destruction. They're trying to destroy their host and anyone around their host. And once they've destroyed that host, they'll find another host and they'll destroy that host. So in, in guys, if you were uh, listening to this today, let me just say, pray when you're done, because the enemy doesn't want you hearing this stuff. He he's like a black widow. He loves the shadows. He hates to come out in the light. Uh, there's a reason why there's only one other podcast on here entitled exorcism. Um, because on, on iTunes, because, uh, Satan doesn't want to be exposed. People don't want to talk about this. My hope is for you as a church planner, you're going to, you're going to bump into this. I, I prayed before the podcast. I hope you do. And I hope you don't. I hope you don't because I don't want you to have to go through it. I hope you do because I hope that you're that front line that you're actually seeing people set free from the clutches of the enemy. But number two. Um, in the case of a, a DID, the alters or the split personalities, the other personalities, they call them alters, A-L-T-E-R-S, they have human names. And that's because the brain and the defense mechanism is attempting to create a believable identity in which the psyche can hide, the ego can hide. And so they don't have to deal with the trauma or pain. But in the case of a demonic possession, their names are demonic in origin. They're sometimes Babylonian. That's not just Hollywood. Um, they may be a name that the God has associated uh, if they receive worship at one time in their existence. Um, it may be a particular geographic region where they wreaked havoc, and it's almost kind of like a trophy or a badge of honor for them. And so they carry this name. It might be a couple thousand years old, 
but it was a time where they particularly did what they would consider a very good job on causing mass amounts of destruction. So they've, they've kept that as almost kind of like, you know, Gideon had his moniker Bale Slayer. They might have a name from that era that they're particularly proud of um, that was given to them. So, uh, it, but their names will not be, it can sometimes be um, names like, uh, uh, you know, anxiety or, you know, it can be, uh, they, they might go by names of the manifestation that they're causing that person. Um, so just be aware of that. Also, I mentioned the eyes, that uh, the eyes of a demonically possessed person can change colors. They can vibrate. Um, they have sometimes a different look. It's not a crazed look. I take it you've actually seen that. And that's why you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen someone's eyes change color right in front of me. Like from and, what, blue to green or like blue to brown? Uh, I've seen yellow and I've seen black. I've seen uh, the eyes. And if, if I'm Check, not... Please. Check, please. If if I'm not mistaken, uh, I believe that the eyes changed color on the last one that we did as a leadership team. We were in a leadership meeting, and a girl started talking about uh, the occult. She, she was saying, "I'm going to go home and cut on myself." And we said, "You know, she's obviously very tr- uh, troubled. Had been institutionalized a good chunk of her life. Had been raped. Horrible stuff happened to her." And so she was damaged, you know, uh, psychologically, no matter what. And so she had come with us, and we were just treating her like a, you know, a, a patient. And uh, a patient? she would have, uh, yeah, a psychiatric patient. We're, okay. we're, uh, we're treating her like someone who's mentally ill. And so we're thinking clinically, at least I am. And I think everyone else was too. And we said, well, look around and go home cutting yourself. Come, come at our leaders meeting. We never talk smack about anyone at our leaders meeting. That's the only reason you keep someone out. We're like, you can hear us praying about the direction for the future and what we think we're going to do. We don't care. You can come along. But she, anyways, so we're eating lunch and, uh, she, uh, is sitting there and suddenly, um, she starts talking about her involvement in the occult. And as she's doing it, I'm starting to feel a presence in the room. And it became very boastful. And I looked at Charlie and Charlie looked at me. And it was that kind of look like it's on. And Charlie kind of smiled because we had already had at, at that point two exorcisms had already busted loose in Bixby. And so we kind of looked and I was like, it's on. And that one, you know, I'm, I'm almost certain that when she manifested, there was the growls, you know, that are animal noises. There was the, uh, you know, uh, but I'm fairly certain once somebody might've been Mike or Lisa said the eyes change color mm. <clears throat> like a beast and they will often act like a beast. And one of the podcasts I was in the one I was talking about earlier that I looked up, I was listening to that one. One of the, it was a Catholic priest. And, um, sadly, um, the Catholics are the ones who know the most Protestants suck on exorcism. Catholics actually believe in it. So that's why they tend to, they tend to treat it serious. They are very professional. They usually have a psychiatrist there just in case. They usually have that person examined first by a professional psychiatrist, a believing psychiatrist, however. And, um, they almost always have a medical doctor. It's, it's pretty much Catholic policy, but I was listening to this priest and, you know, they've been doing it a long time. They know what they're doing. And, uh, he said that. Uh, at one stage, this particular uh, demoniac leapt onto the wall like a spider and clung there. And, of course, last week I mentioned that uh, my friend, 
a pastor friend of mine was like, look, he was still kind of shook up. He goes, yesterday I watched a guy climb that curtain pole like a snake and wrap his body around the curtain rod. Now, that was a physical impossibility. And he was saying, I, I don't know how to explain it, but he says it's not the first time I've seen manifestations of supernatural mind-bending things. And so you obviously know then, okay, we're not dealing with split personality anymore, right? We are literally dealing with a supernatural entity here who is able to do what uh, what happened in um, Exodus, where you know they were able to transmute matter. Um, you know, they were able to turn water to blood. They were able to turn the dust into the gnats. They were able to, they were able to produce a lot of the same phenomenon. They turned their staff into snakes. We don't understand that. We don't know if it was parlor tricks, but it is quite possible that they had the ability because in exorcisms, things happen that do not have a human explanation. They defy the laws, the natural laws of the universe that we normally operate by. Does that make sense? Yeah, in a very I wish it didn't kind of way. Yeah. Some some of the things I'm Baptist. We don't Yeah, because you're Baptist and you're totally I'm not cool with this. This only happens in Africa. It doesn't happen in the States. Yeah. And we all know, you know, in Africa. The more developed the country, the less demons can get in. You know how it is. Yeah, because they're just making up stories in Africa, right? They're tribal people. Of course that stuff happens in their And let's face it, Bible times they just didn't know what epilepsy was. Come on. Exactly. And that's what Western white people think. And the reality is the reason you still hear of it on the mission field is because you're more frontline. It happens in Thailand. Andrew's got stories of demonic possession, supernatural activity when she was in Thailand. The more frontline you go, the more you're going to see this stuff. And it's not because, oh, you know, primitive medieval savages. It's literally because you're more frontline. And, um, you know, I mean, there's things like levitation. Uh, the pastor I trained under, he had seen that. Um, smells, goo, uh, what we call ectoplasm. Um, I, that first exorcism I was in, there was just ectoplasm. I, I remember this ooze gushing out of this chick's nose and mouth. And as she's convulsing and, you know, but, but not a convulse, like a, a convulsion where all your muscles stiffen and you go straight as a plank. It was forward. She was sitting in a chair and we started to pray over and she started convulsing forwards and backwards. And there's just, that's what I remember is kind of like, Ugh, like what's all that goop? You know, it wasn't snot. It was, there was too much of it to be snot. You know what I'm saying? And that's called ectoplasm. And it evaporates uh, rather quickly. Um, There are studies that uh, you can read all about ectoplasm. It was not invented by Ghostbusters. But, um, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is you can hear foreign voices. You hear voices floating in the air. There is the presence of clairvoyance. Uh, remember when Paul was uh, traveling around and he was preaching and the woman came behind him and said, you know, this is a man of God. Listen, to him. these men are from God. Listen. to him. And it says she traveled. She followed him for a few days doing this. And I think the demon was actually trying to drive people away and make it kind of like a freak show circus mm. to undermine them. And, you know, on one hand, you're like, oh, she was totally doing free advertising. Right. As a marketer, you're going, oh, that's awesome. Right. But <laughs> but it wasn't awesome. And, and it says that Paul turns around and goes in the name of Jesus. You know, he just knew like this is this chick is demonically possessed and a riot starts 
in the city because she loses her ability to tell people's futures. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so they are clairvoyant. And, and they were ticked um, because her, her handlers were ticked because they used her to make money. Yeah. And I think what they, they probably let her go along with Paul. So she'd draw a crowd. It'd be like, you know, double billing, you know, this guy does miracles and we can rake money off of the people that want their future read. And, um, and Paul just like, right, I've had enough. He turns around, he throws down with her and boom, you know, she comes out. Her spirit comes out and she loses the ability to tell the future. And so guys, there's a lot of stuff in the scripture we don't understand. My theology has changed. I was told things by uh, pastors um, when I would listen to Bible teaching that would say things like, no, everybody knows that the devil cannot read your mind. And, and of course, I would have, you know, preached that, told people, oh, don't worry, the devil can't read your mind. He's just a master, you know, observer of human behavior. You know what? I don't agree anymore because the Bible never says he can't read my mind and the Bible never says he can. So you can argue that, that he can to your death. You can argue that he cannot to your death. I guess whatever preference you have. But my experience um, has taught me otherwise. I remember that I said there was one person in uh, the psychiatric hospital. This person had done something so disgusting and so gross. It is still to date the worst thing I had seen. And I can remember then not thinking the person was possessed, thinking, that is the most twisted individual I have ever seen in my life. And there was an evil look on the person's face often, this this laughing and this look of evil in the eyes. But I remember, you know, I used to get attacked a lot. It was a violent unit. Um, I started getting like what boxers get where you um, you have bruising on the brain. And one night in the parking lot, I, I, I thought I was having a stroke. I lost... Uh, control over the left side of my body. So I was used to going into work and get punched in the head. A lot of employees got damaged. It was a, a, you know, very unsafe place. I got danger pay, uh, because of that. And I'll never forget this one time I'm walking on the hallway. Now, if someone jumped out at you, you were always hyper vigilant. Um, so you were always ready down this long corridor. There were 21 patients. I think there was something like 10 or 11 rooms. And you were always ready. You always had eyes in the back of your head. But this girl, for some reason, uh, she reached out. And as she touched me, like I wasn't afraid physically, but as she touched me, I felt this wave of evil. I got the hackles up on my neck, which always happens when I talk about that evil, right before a demonic spirit uh, materializes. And I looked at her, and I just must have had this look of horror because suddenly I was about to pee my pants. That's how bad that feeling is when you get it. You start to panic. And it wasn't because she startled me. I had seen her there, but she just reached out and grabbed Like She just touched like my elbow, I think it was, or the back of my arm. And oh my gosh, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I looked at her, and I remember thinking, She's possessed. Hmm. And she got this wicked smile. I still can see it. And she said, oh, don't you worry. There ain't no one else living inside here with me. Oh, my gosh. 
and I and and I'm I I was kind of stumped for a second, like, how did you just read my mind? <laughs> you know, like I was a pretty big long shot because I've been in exorcisms and I looked at her and I said, I know what you are, but you also know what I am. I don't want to lose my job and you don't want to leave your host. This is not going to happen here. I'm warning you. If you make it happen here, it will happen here. But I don't think you want that to happen. And she just stood there. Hmm. She still had her smile on. And I walked away. And I never had another incident with her. She was gone. They, they only stayed on her unit, you know, a couple of days, but uh, we were critical stability. We were, were when they were really severe, but I saw her a number of times. And one of the things is that people who cannot be treated, um, the medical community doesn't know what to do with them. It's kind of like the, the guys, the two demoniacs in the, uh, in the, in the, the graveyard where they just chain them up in the graveyard. They, they don't know what to do with them. So yeah, well, what's him. crazy about that, because I told you I've been um, rereading uh, Luke basically right now is, is what I'm reading. And um, I read that this morning, and they break the chains. Like, they've got superhuman strength. Well, yeah, in the case of Roland Doe, who was the uh, the little boy, I think he's 10 years old, his aunt was a medium. Uh, they had been doing Ouija board. Um, he got possessed. And... Um, it took five men to hold Roland down, and he actually was able to physically grab. Uh, he had he had started tearing up his bed. He was able to twist off a bed spring as five guys were holding him down, and literally stab it into the forearm and create a gash going from the guy's wrist all the way to his elbow. In a priest, with five guys holding him down. Ripping a bed spring off of the mattress. This is back in, I think it was back in like the, I don't want to say 20s or 30s, something like that. So they can get superhuman strength. And so we talk over some of the rules of this. I'll tell you some of the things that just guidelines to avoid things like that. Um, Jeff, who I had, well, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, how do you definitively, you know, okay. So you've got somebody you're like, okay, I think they're possessed. What do I do now? Um, number one, have a conversation about Jesus. Start asking them what they think of Jesus. Remember that in Corinthians, Paul says, now no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the spirit of Christ. Now there are people who think you go to non-believers and say that and they can't say it. That's not true. Demoniacs can say it, but they will say it mockingly. Um, the pastor I trained under had a, a, a demoniac saying, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, like a parrot. Um, because he asked, can you know, say Jesus is Lord? And they did, but they said it in mockery. So the, the devil can use scripture. The devil can mock and twist scripture. He does it all the time. I could just name off any one of the false teachers that you have on TBN. The, the, the reality is he can, he can use someone as a mouthpiece to say scripture. He's very good at it. But he will say Jesus is Lord, but you'll notice the attitude. You'll notice the bitterness and the hostility towards Jesus when you start talking to them about. And, and so if you see any of the things I mentioned, not even the supernatural, but uh, and I didn't mention one of the most important ones with the DID is switching back and forth between every other sentence, like what I mentioned those girls earlier. 
Now, a DID um, can sometimes in extreme cases do that. It's called rapid switching. But when you take all things into consideration, uh, it, it, you're going to see all the other signs of demonic possession, including the supernatural. So when you think you've got something like that, you start talking about Jesus. And what do you think of the Bible? And um, and then you can you can start reading the Bible. What do you think of this? If they start getting really agitated as you read the Scripture and you read specific passages, you read things like Revelation 12, which talks about Satan being cast out of heaven because Jesus triumphed over him. You read the crucifixion passage and the resurrection passage. You read Philippians 2, where it talks about him humbling himself to the point of death, even death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him over the name, the name that is above all names, that all knees should bow. That includes the demons, by the way. They too will bow. Okay? So you start, they will start manifesting. You start to pray. And as you pray, you, oh, and Colossians 1, by the way, um, where it talks about, is it, is it one or two? Where it talks about, uh, Jesus, uh, taking the requirement of the law, the handwriting of the law that it was against us and nailing it to the cross, making a public spectacle, uh, over the principalities and powers. You start reading things like that. You keep to the blood and the victory of Jesus over the, over the kingdom of darkness. The fact that Satan has had his head crushed by the heel of the seed, the one who has prophesied in the Proto-Evangelion in Genesis 3. You go back to that stuff. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They start manifesting. Am I getting boring here? No, 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 not boring. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wound up. And, and here's the other thing. Well, see, you- I, just, I, I keep having these flashbacks of things that you've told me in the past, like one of the things that, and, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but one of the things that Jeff told you, is uh, you and he were going to do an exorcism together. And I think it was like your first one with him or something. And uh, you guys were going to pray before you started it. And so you bowed your head and closed your eyes. And Jeff goes, Peyton, open your eyes. Do not yep. pray with your eyes closed. <laughs> Jeff had a woman that he had done an exorcism. Now, Jeff, if you've read Church Zero, Jeff was, um, I call him my Jeffro. Like Moses had Jethro. Jeff was a retired old church planner. He had seen and done a lot of stuff, and he was he wanted one last kind of adventure before he's gone on to do other adventures now. He's planned a church. Uh, but Jeff was awesome. And he was like, he came and he's like, look, I've already like had my stint, but I feel like, uh, Caleb, I just, I just want to take some more giants before I go. He was the best guy to serve with. And dude walked in the supernatural. He was the prophet of Ephesians 4. And he, uh, he just, you know, he had a lot more experience in, uh, both healing and, um, uh, exorcism than I did. And so in those situations, I would look to him, you know, almost like in exorcisms every time he took the lead, which was weird for me because I was used prior to that. Uh, I was used to taking the lead when I experienced those things. Um, you know, at a certain point, but with him, it was just obvious. Okay. We're dealing here with, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing here with a, a dude, you know, kind of like Monty Python, the bishop, you know, he's like, he's the dude who knows. So, um, I learned loads off Jeff, but yeah, he was like, Hey, don't ever, there were a couple, couple rules that, that Jeff had that were shocking to me like that. But when he had had a girl that he was doing an exorcism, he learned it because he said, as he was closing his eyes and something, the Lord just told him, 
open your eyes. He opened and she had been reaching for a knife to stab him hmm. and was just getting ready to say, and he said, in the name of Jesus, drop that knife. And she dropped it. And so, you know, here's the deal, right? Um, first thing you want to know tell is us some of his rules, right? Cause I kind of want to know what they are. <laughs> we're getting to those. How much time we got? Man? We only got 12 minutes left. We can do this in 12 minutes. Oh, dang. <laughs> this is going to be a two-parter, is so isn't it? You're, big. You're killing it's me. It's so big. That's why I'm like, dude, I don't want to screw around. This stuff is serious. So here's the deal, right? Um, demons are terrified of getting exercise. Now, you asked a question last time, and I did a little bit of digging around on it, right? Um, you were like, why did the demons want to go to into the pigs? And I've always just kind of assumed it's because Jesus said that they like being in, um, you know, in a host more. I, I think there may be a different reason for it because if you, if you go back and look at that passage, it did well, a little I, bit of damage. I will say this today in today's reading, when, um, I read it in Luke, it adds a line in there that I had underlined that actually makes it make a little bit more sense. Cause in Luke, it says the demon said something along the lines of do not cast us out into the abyss. Exactly. So here's the deal. This is the theory, right? The theory is, is that when a demonic being has been extremely naughty, right? In other words, there are demons, but not all demons inhabit people. There are degrees of, of what they do. For example, um, in Genesis, right, we have the Nephilim. And it says when the sons of God, um, translation on that is not the line of Seth, but sons of God in the scriptures always used for angelic beings. So when it says sons of God, um, most commentators, most scholars think that that's a, re- a reference to demonic beings, uh, that they had um, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And so they made it. And it may have been that, that uh, these angels had possessed people, and that may have been where it started, the whole idea of possession. Um, and then they uh, carried out their lustful fantasies had children, and the children, it says, were called the Nephilim, men of renown. Now, And they were there it, before the flood and after. That's what it says. Absolutely. And so in the book of Jude, he talks. Let me just go to Jude real quick. Um, what? We're going to bust open the Bible on a church well, planner podcast? Well, we quoted a lot, but I don't remember it by heart. I used to know this scripture by heart. I don't know it anymore. But uh, the book of Jude uses a lot of apocryphal imagery um, because he just does. I don't, I don't really you know, know how to say it to you. But the apocrypha deals a lot with spiritual beings, celestial beings, angels, and demons. So it, it's quite right that he's taking, he's borrowing a little bit from that. He's not saying that it's canonical, but uh, it's probably, some of it's probably true. And so here's the deal. He says, um, let me just uh, find the scripture here. He says, Afterwards, God destroyed those who did not believe, talking about bringing them out of Egypt, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling place. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So the idea of that passage is that the spiritual beings that were not content to uh, uh, inhabit the spiritual realm but decided to invade the physical realm, i.e. possessing people, um, that they were kept after the flood. In fact, he talks about the flood um, a little bit later, but here's the deal. 
he um the theory is that that these beings were chained up in hell that they were cast to hell like when they said don't cast us to the abyss that that's actually what happened to the spirits who possessed and mated with uh possessed males and mated with females and created this almost demonically possessed offspring called the Nephilim. Now, uh, it may sound like fairy tales. It may sound, you know, they have found uh, nine-foot iron beds. There has been um, ample evidence of people that are nine-foot tall. Uh, all this stuff was real. But the reality is that um, the language that Jude uses is very telling. For example, he uses um, the word Tartarus. Now, in Greek mythology, Tartarus was an island um, that was inhabited, if you ever seen the cartoon Hercules, by the Titans. And the Titans were, guess what? The offspring of the gods, men, like Zeus, and women. That's what Hercules was. Hercules was a Titan. And so Hercules fights all the other Titans. So all throughout time, there has kind of been this uh, idea that there was once spirits who mated with humans and created this race of beings. Now, the scripture, uh, this scripture predates the Macedonian Empire and these legends by quite a bit. And so often with mythologies, you find things that, that kind of C.S. Lewis said, realities that, that created legend, that there was something that really happened and legends sprung up about them. And so this theory, going back to Luke, your passage, is that the reason they said don't cast us into the abyss is that when a spirit is cast, out of a person, like Jesus said, they go through dry and arid places seeking rest, that there's kind of this frantic, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, looking for a host to occupy. The theory is that they get sent to, to the abyss when they get cast out. And so there's this idea that when Jesus cast them out, that what they were saying is, you know, let's go into the pigs. Don't let us go to the abyss. If we can find another host, we won't get sucked into the abyss. Now, I know that's a long shot, but it's the best theory I got. Hmm. And so... Hell with you, demon! Now, that would have been an awesome sound bite, right? <laughs> so then, so almost like the, the slap in the face is, okay, fine, you can go in the pigs, and then the pigs all drown, and now they yeah, still and go they end up the going to hell. Go to hell! Go to hell! <laughs> I thought you wanted to be more serious because if if we get to use sound bites, I'm just saying. I got Ghostbusters on call. Who are you going to call? Who are you going to call? Well, you either call a Catholic or you call a Protestant who believes in exorcism. That's all I'm saying. So, so the idea is that, you know, the reason why they're resistant is, and I'm actually, this is actually sounding very, uh, credible to me that the demonic beings are just, they do not want to go to hell. That literally they are like, Hey, um, like, like he said, do you remember when Jesus, uh, appeared? This was not epilepsy. You know, the demon fell down in front of Jesus, yeah. not, and had an epileptic fit, but literally said, who, you know, I know who you are, son of God. You know, he knows who he is. That's clairvoyance. And then he says, have you come to torment us before the appointed time? In other words, have you come to punish us? In other words, he's got, he's saying, hey, I, I know you're going to send me into the abyss. So there is a, a huge possibility that when you are exercising, it's only a possibility, I can't say that there's any kind of dogmatism, that they are actually getting sent to hell. 
And that may be why they're so resistant. It may explain the passage in Luke about going into the pigs, that they were just trying to find anything to cling to so they didn't have to go to the abyss. To me, it sounds the most plausible explanation. Mm. So their goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, as we said earlier. And so when you're starting the exorcism, if, if in fact, what's happening, they're not just going to go uh, find another host. Um, you may be casting them actually out to hell. Here's the deal. Um, you, you need to know what to do. So, <coughs> sorry, a <clears throat> couple rules. Never do it alone. You need to have the buddy system on this. Jesus sent the guys out two by two and gave them authority to cast out demons. So you, the buddy system is biblical. Um, I would never in a million years do an exorcism by myself. I just, I would be, be too afraid. I'm going to need backup. So always have someone and make sure the person that you have is actually somebody who is spiritual because this is what's going to, this is what's going to happen. Um, the demonic beings are going to push your buttons. They're going to say things like, um, in my case, they would say my children's name. I have a baby. Uh, my youth pastor I mentioned earlier had a son who was having loads of seizures. And uh, I can remember when that time was going on in his son's life. He was rushing him to the ER a lot. And during one of the exorcisms, uh, the demonic spirit said, I'm going to kill and name that child and said, he's having a seizure right now. And my youth pastor just basically just, he couldn't deal with it. He was done. It, it had pushed his buttons. He, he just started bursting out into tears and he was, he was scared. You know, um, they will, they will literally say to you something like, uh, you know, I saw you looking at porn on such and such date. Ha 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 ha. You think you can take me on? Who do you think you are? You don't walk with God. They will say stuff like that. Mm. So the Catholics are like, Hey, before you do this, you need to go to confession because to them, they're like, Hey, you put that stuff under the blood and you quote, Hey, it's forgiven. Jesus took that to the cross. Shut up in the name of Jesus. You know, that's kind of what they're doing. And so, you know, a couple of guide rules. Number one, um, when you're laying hands on uh, a demoniac, you. Um, Let me ask you before you go to that. <clears throat> when like you and Jeff would uh, do an exorcism, would you say, hey, before we go in here, let me confess a few things just so, you know. This isn't well, this is where me. the this is where the Protestant, I think, has a little bit of an advantage because you know we have the Reformation, right? We're like, hey, man, I know all my sins on Jesus, right? I don't got to say any Hail Marys. Don't got to go to confession booth right now. Um, it's nailed to the cross. I just remind myself of these scriptural truths, and I'm like, Lord, it's all under the blood. But yes, I think um, number one, you need to be in a spirit of prayer. Um, remember when Jesus said, "This kind cannot come out but by prayer and fasting." Fasting is not in the original text, by the way, but uh, it would surely be a good idea because fasting is just an intense period of prayer where you devoted yourself to prayer. So when Jesus says this kind only comes out by prayer, what he's saying is, guys, you weren't strong enough. You weren't you weren't tough enough to get the job done. And I don't care what you think about that or how wrong you think that is. I'm just telling you, I've been there and I have had uh, exorcisms that have gone quick. Uh, because there was maybe 20, 30 people in the room when the spirit manifested. And I have had the fight for my life where after one hour, my kidneys hurt because I've had an adrenaline rush. I'm fatigued. I have no strength. Um, I just, I don't care if the person's exercise. I want it to be done. 
And I swear to you, I have been there. And I promise you, I have let people go that were not fully exercised because I just couldn't take anymore. Hmm. Were you alone in those or did you have people? With no, you? I was at one of them was with Jeff and we both decided we were too tired. <laughs> so we said, we'll see you again. But he, and we did. And it, it was it was knocked out in another exorcism that I wasn't present at. But some of them had been exercised. Now, here's the thing. Um, first thing you need to do is once you've established it, you need to ask what are their names. Um, the reason for this, it, it sounds very medieval, you know, demon name thyself, but you actually need to know the name of the demon specifically so that you know what you're dealing with. You need to know, A, who am I talking to right now? Because they will often pretend to be the person who's being exercised. I can remember being in one of them and the girl goes, ha 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 ha, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Oh man, to see your faces, you guys are so funny. And we're looking at each other like, oh crap. Like, you know, we were, we were just holding this person down. Like we can be in trouble for this. And suddenly to, um, you know, the, the, the pastor that, that I was with was like, shut up in the name of Jesus. And they went, Wah! you know, and, and that is, what you're dealing with. So you need to say, who am I speaking with right now in the name of Jesus? And you command them, tell me your name. I yeah, I mean, in, tell in, me your name. the interesting thing is, <clears throat> if you're going to use Jesus as the role model, even he asked. I mean, he knew, right? But yeah, he asked. Well, and that, that brings up the second point is you need to know how many. So in that case, he's like, we're legion. And that's another reason that you need to know uh, the name and you need to know the names because they will go out. Sometimes they will go out and, and most often the case, they go out one by one. So there was one guy um, that we were doing, Jeff and I were doing an exorcism on in the back of my car. I think I've talked about that one before in Burbank um, where the guy's like, I don't believe in any of this crap, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's mocking people that had prayed for him to be delivered. And so then you're thinking, oh, great, you know, and I think this dude's possessed, but if we pray, you know, for him, you know, he's going to, He's just going to mock us and laugh at us and, you know, boom, boom, boom. And so he was waxing on and on about how people thought there's a demonic spirit and they prayed for him and what a joke it was. That was just the demon talking, trying to put us off. So we start praying for him and he starts, you know, and, and then he starts doing this vomiting thing where he's vomiting in dry heaves. You know, and, and that sometimes is how it manifests when the demonic spirits come out. And I know for people, like, I'm just hearing this from people that have never been there, never experienced, and they're going, what on earth am I listening to? Look, I get that it sounds like that, but what do you think? Do you think they're going to say, bye-bye? Do you think it's going to be like bees come out of their mouth and fly away? Like, you know, but there is a struggle, you know, and, and while they're talking to you and deceiving you, so that you have to keep saying, who am I talking to right now? Tell me who am I, you know, they have to listen to you. Um, they will attempt to deceive you, and, and we'll talk about ways to get around that. But uh, the reality is that uh, they will also be talking to the person. And they'll be telling the person, hey, you need me. And, you know, you can't live without me. And um, I remember how much I've helped you. Uh, in this situation, get what you want. And boom, boom. So there's an internal dialogue. I, I, I remember the first... Uh, possession I talked about, I, I said to the, 
I was asking her all about it. So what was it like? You know, like, like you do as a teenager, you know, I'm like 17, 18 years old. I'm like, so what, what was it like? And she said, well, she said when, um, all night I had this weird urge to laugh. And she goes, I can remember when, um, uh, the youth pastor was saying something about Jesus. I just wanted to mock it. And it was this irresistible urge. And I, I, it was so hard to keep it down. And she said, and at one stage, she said, the, um, the demons were telling me, we will kill you if you make us leave. And so the person has to renounce the demonic spirit. And so at one stage in the exorcism, you have to ask the person, you know, do you renounce Satan? Do you renounce? And they have to start saying, I renounce you. You have to start bringing them through a conversion experience in the exorcism. And you have to have them kind of like when you baptize someone, you have to start causing them to renounce the devil. And just talking about like, you know how like people talk about like holy water on vampires and holy water. I want to tell you if you're in an exorcism and you want them to freak out, if you're talking to the host and you're saying, will you confess the name of Jesus? And they say, yes, I confess Jesus, my Lord and Savior. If they're able to say that and you say, I'm going to baptize you. You have water handy. Whoa. <laughs> there are two things that demonic beings freak out about. And that is um, communion and baptism. Those two sacraments freak the crap out of them. Really? Because of what they symbolize. Yeah. So all these legends about, you know, holy water on vampires, you just got to go back and like C.S. Lewis think, where did that come from really? Where did that come from? Where did that legend grow? Was there something, that, I mean, did that, was that just pulled out of thin air? Do you think maybe somewhere in an exorcism, because my theory is all vampire legends um, originally come from demonic people, um, taking on animal-like traits, um, sucking blood, eating flesh. I've experienced all of this stuff um, from demonically possessed people. So uh, the, the whole thing, yeah, that stuff is all very real. And I know I'm dominating the conversation here, so I'll shut up for a second. I would just like to remind everyone that uh, this particular episode is sponsored by The Exorcism of Emily Rose, now available on home video. <laughs> Not really, but uh, Star Church, aren't you glad you're on this episode? <laughs> but don't don't lay hands on them and don't touch them. You know, we were mentioned earlier, um, when uh, we were talking about Roland Doe, when Roland Doe had those five priests hold him down, the inspiration for the movie The Exorcist, um, by the way, during that movie uh, in the 70s, when the exorcism uh, of Emily Rose was going on, the exorcist was in the theaters. So just to give you a little little time sense there, um, that's when that one was actually kicking off. But in it, with the real story of the exorcism back in the 20s and 30s, whenever it was, I can't remember, it might have been 40s, uh, the, the reality is in that situation, it was when they attempted to give him communion. It was right towards the end. And once they gave him communion, that was it. It was done. Battle was finished. But it was when they were attempting to give him the Eucharist, the body and blood, the, the bread and wine, um, in celebration of the death of Christ. Uh, that is when it all kicked off. And he started levitating. They were holding him down. Um, he attacked. He got violent. It was like the death rose. And so you don't lay hands on them. You don't touch them. You command them to sit down in the name of Jesus. If you want to try to physically match their strength, and this is kind of the deal. When you're in an exorcism, like I said, you are super aware of how weak you are. So when you try to engage them 
on the physical plane or in any way that takes you outside of the realm of the Holy Spirit, then you are going to lose the battle. They will be stronger than you. Um, it's not their adrenaline. It is literally a supernatural strength. It says in the book of Mark uh, about the two demoniacs in the graveyard that they tried to subdue them but could not. So you and don't they, hold them down or anything. You just no. pray, talk, and them. I command them in the name of Jesus to sit. I command them in the name of Jesus to lay down. I do not touch them ever, ever. I do not lay hands on them. I literally just do I may put water on them, but that's when you're going to see them flip out and freak out. you got to make sure at that point you, you, you got some people there because you may get attacked. So that's when you're like, hey, we're going to get in big trouble here. Like when you get attacked, things, what do you do? I mean, how do you I've fight back? Been, I have never at this stage been attacked. I never have yet been attacked physically. And I'm just thinking about that for a second to make sure. Yes, I've never been attacked physically. And maybe because I don't touch them. I don't know. Check, please. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so so the other thing is you've got to, um, oh, what else? Um, Keep talking about the the name. Uh, What's that? Find their name. Find Find their name. Identify them. Exercise them. Command them to go out in the name of Jesus. Do not engage in conversation. Do not um, have. Don't ask them questions that are relevant. You are there to get a job done. Get in, strike hard, and get out. Do not start asking them, you know, questions like, "So, uh, tell me a little bit about Hitler." You know, were you in him? Don't ask those stupid things, right? Don't, uh, don't like, don't get off the subject. So and it'll take will. hours of you just commanding them and. Sometimes, well, and it may be you're commanding different spirits. It may be sometimes, uh, like like in the last one that I did in Wales, uh, they, they will deceive you. Like sometimes they'll play possum, and I can remember this person. You know, they did the oh, and the vomiting, and this guy had a couple of them in him, but they did the thing where it just suddenly he went limp, and I was like, oh, and it seemed like we were done because there was all this struggle. And then there was like, oh, you know, and then a kind of like a rush of air. And I remember thinking, gosh, man, I'm hearing this now. I don't tell these stories. And and so all of a sudden, like, we're sitting there and I'm thinking, because you're worn out, I'm thinking, it's done. And but I can still feel the demonic presence. And I looked at Jeff and I said, he's not gone. And Jeff goes, nope. And so we just right back in, you know, um, playing possum. But it seemed like on the outside, there were, the, the, the demonic spirits were gone. So you need to, you know, uh, you need to be aware that they're going to try to deceive you. So you want to, um, to make sure that they're fully, fully gone. You want to have them take communion. You want to ask them to confess their sins and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Get on their knees. You want to ask if you can baptize them. Um, those are all the things. If they can do that, they are not possessed. If they can do those things, you have won the battle. They are fully clean. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I've pretty much had the hair up on the back of my neck this entire podcast. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it greatly. You're welcome. And um, the last thing I would say is, um, and 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 this is this is going to be kind of weird 
but I'm borrowing this from Walter Martin. Um, Walter Martin used to carry a, a giant cross on his neck, like as if he were a Catholic priest. And uh, they used to always ask him, like, Dr. Martin, you're a Protestant. Why, why you got a big crucifix around your neck? He's like, because. He talked like Ralph Cramden. He's like, because I've been in enough exorcisms. And Satan really hates the cross. He hates crucifixes. And what the devil doesn't like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and he would have a crucifix. And he, I, I can never, you know, I remember him. He once gave a talk on exorcism. And he made the point. He said, you know, I've watched the exorcism. I've studied it. And he said, every single thing in that movie is possible. Like when her head spins around, that didn't happen. That's the only thing in the movie that didn't really happen. And the part about, and, and guys, if there's kids listening, you yeah, need to shut this Wrong off. time I, to give the warning I, for kids. I was going to say, I can't imagine you would have your kids listening to this. But you really can't have kids listening at this point because of what I'm about to say. There is this scene in there where the uh, Reagan masturbates with a crucifix. And Walter Martin pointed out, he said, look, and, and again, experience. You know now um, i got to mark it explicit. And uh, what's I his know. name? I know. Jonathan Ferguson. It'll make it even get... more popular, Pete. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just saying Jonathan <laughs> Ferguson's going to have a talking to by his wife again. Hey, hey, this one should be marked explicit even without that reference. But you know what? Here's the deal. Walter Martin made the point. He said they will not touch a crucifix. They will recoil in horror to a crucifix, which is strange, right? Because I'm a Protestant. Like, I don't think about that. Um, if you're like a Presbyterian, you think crucifixes are anathema. You almost think it's a graven idol, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but the reality is, you know, I don't know where the Baptists stand on it, but, um, Walter Merton, you know, he, he was a Southern Baptist. He carried that crucifix, man, and he was, uh, he was convinced. You know, no, I'm going to have to go out and buy the biggest crucifix I could find and wear it until the day I die. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just got it on your shirt in case, you know, in case you need to bust out we're somewhere and boom, you know. Superman had his S. I'm going to have my cross. Absolutely. But that's, I mean, that's really it, guys. You can find if you want what might be helpful for some of you guys. And, and you know, I know some of you guys are like, you know, you're already like Peyton cannot be trusted now. But <laughs> Um, they already the thought deal. that. Don't even worry about it, bro. But here's the deal. Like I said, the Catholics know what they're doing. They have three rites of exorcism. It would be helpful to look those up and see some of the scriptures, some of the things that they say. Obviously, you're going to have to do some editing. I wouldn't follow. Like, I would never follow it. But it might be good to kind of get informed about, you know, what things are helpful. You know, they use things that are helpful. The Hail Marys aren't going to do a lot of good for you, right? Um, I've got my own theory about, you know, the whole Hail Mary thing, and it's not particularly complimentary towards the Catholic faith. So I'm not going to say it because, hey, I love Catholics, you know, but here's the deal. I, I just I want you to be aware it's important that whatever you do, you're focusing on Scripture. You're not debating them. You're telling them silence in the name of Jesus, and you are in control. You are asking the questions. But in saying that, do not get into in any way the mindset that it's you against them. You are hiding behind the Lord. The Lord is your shield. It is his authority, and you are commanding them in Jesus' authority. I command you in the name of Jesus. You are nobody. Kind of like the sons of Skeva where 
you know, they say, we command you in the name of Jesus to come out. They, or in the, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And they're like, hey, Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, but who in the heck are you? Um, who are you? You are nobody. You need to know that. Jesus gave the authority, and the demons must listen to you. They must listen to you. And that's all you need to know. But because of what Jesus is doing through you at that moment, you are speaking his words that he is letting you borrow. And so you're commanding them to go. You're commanding them to release the host. You speak to the host and you say, will you renounce? Do you want to be set free? Will you renounce the demonic spirits? Tell them to go. And at a certain stage, they have to tell the demonic spirits, you must leave me in the name of Jesus. And that's where you really start getting someone. As the demonic spirit weakens and the person comes more to the front, the host you then have to rope them into exercising the spirits. And when that happens, there is almost like a contract that that is broken between the person and the demonic spirit. They had to, in some way, shape, or form, give them access in the beginning. They are now refusing that access and closing that door. And so that is it, guys. That's as much as I can give you. It's not rocket science, but that's what I know. And I learn a little more every time. Uh, I wish I were an expert, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know where to go with that. I don't know where to go either, but you know what? We're going to do something today on this podcast that we don't normally do. And this is for all of you listening, for me, for Pete, for Open This Pandora's Box, and for those of you that had the guts and the stamina to make it through to the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we lift up this session. Father, I pray these guys never have to use any of this stuff. But if they do, Lord, I pray that you in their weakness would anoint them with your Holy Spirit. And in their weakness, Lord, you would be strong. That they would see, even with a thorn in the flesh, that your grace is sufficient. And they would stand in the grace that comes from the cross, but in the power that comes from the resurrection that is Paul said that I will boast of my weakness, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Lord, I pray that you would make them bold in these scenarios, that, Lord, even to go into battle now knowing more, uh, knowing that it is not in their own strength that they stand, but they stand in the power of the Lord and in the armor of his might. And, Lord, I pray that you would make them victorious and setting captives free. I pray that those who are set free from the power of sin, Satan, and hell Lord, would themselves be glowing testimonies. Lord, I think back to that girl who uh, uh, came to faith and uh, came to faith through an exorcism where she was exercised and she gave the rest of her life to ministering to gang members uh, in the Mexican mafia. As far as I know, she's still there today, setting people free. And Lord, I, I pray that as everyone who's delivered from that eventually like Mary Magdalene, who you say was delivered from seven spirits, uh, from multiple uh, demons. Lord, I, I pray that you would use these people as key missionaries, Lord. Once they get back on track with you, Lord, they have powerful testimonies and powerful lives. So we ask, Lord, that you would turn them into instruments, not of evil, but damage-dealing instruments, weapons for the kingdom. And we lift this up, Lord. Be with us all, Lord. Protect us all and empower us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this has been the Church Planter Podcast. A little bit different today. 
But if you've been listening, we want to remind you, if you want to reach the people no one's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. And if you don't find yourself surrounded, you're in the wrong landing zone. Jump school! Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music